0: Um, You have shown me such honor and love for so many years that this just takes my breath away. I didn't need any of this to feel appreciated. In fact... um I'm going to have to ask you to spend some time praying for me <laughs> that I can get my emo- emotions under control so I can say something worthwhile <laughs> here uh, this morning. It's been very difficult to consider what I would uh, speak about on this last official sermon as a senior pastor because, of course, I'd love it to be my most intelligent, wisest, <laughs> greatest one. I'd love it. I would just love it to be great. I've thought about many stories I could share. I've, I've thought about um, great topics that I could uh speak about and hopefully be impressive, but when it came down to it, I just want to tell you um, a little bit about Jesus. I just want to do that. I've been doing that uh, for a long time. I was a child when I first came to know Jesus, but I was 16 when I made an adult commitment to him, no turning back, to serve him with all of my life, the rest of my life, and um, I pray that what I have to share with you will, will help you uh, live your life in a way that you can uh, feel delighted, as delighted as I do, to be here today with you. I want to tell you this, we're talking about uh, the last arrow. And I want to tell you that every one of us, everybody here, everybody listening uh, on their computers or phones, devices, whatever you have, everybody was born with a, a quiver of arrows that no one else can shoot. Every one of us. God has created no other person on the planet like you. There's nobody on this planet at this particular point in time that has the mix of gifts that you have, the personality that you have, the abilities, the opportunities. God gives you and I, each one of us, opportunities and calls us, impresses us to use our one and only life shooting every single arrow that he put in our quiver. He didn't give us anything for nothing. He intends us all to do everything with it. If you have athletic ability, if you have academic ability, uh, if you you meet important people, if you meet ordinary people, whatever God has put in your quiver, he wants it to uh, be shot. He gave these arrows to you to use your life. And God's plan for you and for me is to courageously stand up and shoot every single arrow that he's given us. Now, it's the only way to pursue life's deepest joys. And I'm going to be frank with you. It's where you're going to have your deepest battles, your greatest battles. You're going to have those by shooting every arrow that God puts into your quiver. But for sure, you want to leave this life with an empty quiver and a full heart. Now, I would not want to kid you. You're going to have a lot of hurts and irritations and battles on the way. Many of you already know that. And the hurts and the irritations can either take you under or they can make you great. It reminds me of my cane. I certainly do not want to be using a cane at this point in my life, and I hopefully will not use it forever. My dad, um, when I, after I had surgery on my ankle and I was using this cane for the first time, my dad said to me, oh, Brendy, that's so beautiful, and it's just so like you. He said, I think you should put it in your casket when you die. <laughs> I said, well, I think someone else will have charge of that. <laughs> but I don't actually know the history of this particular cane it was uh, one that someone gave to my dad and he he never used it and I picked it up and used it because it was so beautiful but because it's so unusual I looked it up it's a diamond willow uh, cane and it comes from Missouri and it's it's like an oyster The reason that an oyster makes pearls is because irritating pieces of sand get inside of them and they can either be terribly infected and die. These these, uh, clams can do this. Or they can choose to spin a substance that makes a pearl and they cover up that grain of sand with a pearl. The same way with these diamond willow trees. They are susceptible to a particular kind of fungus that gets into the, the, um, I guess you would call it the meat of the tree. It gets in there, the fungus gets in there, and it can kill the tree unless the tree has the wherewithal to turn it into a unique little divot and work around it and grow around it. And that's how these, and you'll find some other uh, pieces of of artwork, canes, they're made, they're made from flaws that could have killed the tree, but the tree worked around it. It reminds me of Matthew twelve twenty. Jesus is quoting um, Isaiah and he says this, speaking of himself, he said, a bruised reed He will not throw out, and a wickering candle he will not snuff out. Do you know what that means? It means that things that other people see as your weaknesses, they see you as a weak little candle that flickers, or they see you as something that has flaws and bruises, and you would never be used to make a basket with. Jesus says, I'll never throw you out. So when you face these hard times in your life that could destroy you, could make you uh, feel like you're unusable to him, I want you to remember that no, you're not. Those battles are actually the things that he will use to make you most attractive to people. Everywhere I go with my cane, I was at the doctor to get blood work this week, and the two young women were there. They wanted to know, "Does does your cane have a story? I just, I love it. Everybody has asked me that. Does my, my cane have a story? And I tell them about Jesus and how he'll never throw us out. This is my heartfelt intent. I know that I have more arrows to shoot. I want to use every wounding, every flaw, everything in my life to shoot more arrows. I, wanted, I want to do that. Now, I have a little feeling. Maybe it's just a prayer. Maybe it's my imagination or wish, wishful thinking, but I don't think so. I believe I might shoot an arrow that will go further than any I've ever shot. I think I might you know I don't know I just know that I'm going to keep shooting and I feel this for Cornerstone Church as well Pastor Jacob for you in Cornerstone the first Sunday that I preached uh, as senior pastor I called the sermon I have a dream and I told the dreams that I had for Cornerstone Church and thank God it's the most wonderful remarkable thing most of those dreams have come th- come true although many of them came true in ways I didn't expect you know a different form than I prayed for them to be but there's a couple that haven't gotten fulfilled yet and I believe that as God's people work with you Jacob I believe that those dreams were from him and that you're going to accomplish those yet and I can't wait to be part of the, the team I'm going to be sitting on the front row every Sunday saying go get them, guys go get him I'm going to do that so what does Jesus tell us about leading a last arrow life he certainly did it and he has so much to say to lead a last narrow life, Jesus tells us by his own life, the way he lived it. Matthew twenty twenty-eight says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you and I are going to live the life that God created us to live, if we're going to live to our full potential, if we're going to live the life that lives every day of your life and leaves nothing behind, you never settle. You have to come to a place where you decide to quit running, you decide to quit playing around with your options, and you decide to take a stand. Now don't jump jump to conclusions. Don't say, oh, I'm taking a stand. You know, oh, I I tell everybody how I feel about COVID and I tell everybody here how I feel about masks and about racism and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. Actually, some of you probably need to shut yourself down on some of those stands uh, just a little bit. I'm talking about something far deeper. You have to slow down and find out who you really are, what difference God created you to make in this world, Find out what you're supposed to do, and quit doing the diversionary things that take you away from your main course. You have to know who you are. You have to quit just doing just what comes easy or what other people want you to do. Quit running and stand your ground. Decide what defines you. What will mark you as a person? How will you be known by others? Your best decisions are always the result of knowing yourself. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew why he came. He knew why he was here. He knew that he came to be served, to serve, not to serve, not to be served. He knew that he he came to give his life as a ransom, as a sacrifice for others. And he had so many temptations and opportunities to do anything but that. And they were all good things. He could have done so many good things. That was the heart of the temptations that Satan gave him. Satan didn't ask him to do anything bad. He asked him to do something miraculous, something wonderful. But it wasn't what he was here for. You have to know why you're here. You have to know what you're here to do. I think most of us cave into fear we become more about what is easiest for us and what we feel will, will be applauded for, not criticized for. And so instead of running to something with our lives, we run away from something. Now I wish I could tell you I've always been just wildly courageous, but that is not so. In fact, I have fear uh, all the time that I'm beating down in the name of Jesus. Um, When I first became pastor at Cornerstone, when they had selected it and I knew it was going to happen, I felt the Lord speak very clearly to me. And he said, Brenda, do you want to be a great leader or do you want to be a great person? And God and I uh, often have long conversations in my mind, you know, we'll talk back and forth and I, and I think and I said to God, I don't believe that's fair. I, I would recommend you go ahead and tell God that if you feel that way because he knows you think it anyways. So I told him I don't think that's fair. I want to be a great person and I want to be a great leader. And he said, no, too many times those two things will come into conflict. You're going to have to choose which one you will be. And I said, okay, then I want to be a great leader. And he said, okay, then you're going to be a leader in the fashion of Moses. Jacob, you know, I just gave you my picture of Moses. Uh, It's been hanging on my wall. I got a a big, beautiful picture of Moses, and it's hung in my office uh, from the first day uh, that I became a pastor. And um, the thing that God spoke to me about Moses was that Moses had to come to grips with the fact that he could have crossed the wilderness in two weeks by himself if he just wanted to be a great person but if he was going to be a great leader he was going to have to walk very slowly and he was going to have to put up with the criticisms and the problems and all of the stuff that come with taking a crowd of two million people across the (laughs) wilderness well I knew I wasn't going to um, have that but I knew that that God was going to work with me and he was going to make sure I got opportunities or challenges to um, my desire to be either a great leader or a great person. And there have been so many of those. I just want to tell you two of them, and I'll just mention them uh, real quickly. If you're not from Cornerstone, you'll kind of get the idea. If you are from Cornerstone, you'll know uh, what I'm talking about. I I have history on my record that is not what any pastor really wants. In the last four years, I've lost two churches. One, I lost a church building that our people built with their own hands. And secondly, I lost a multi-site. That was our first effort in that and was Charlie's dream as well. I don't know any pastor that wants that on the record. However, in the days and weeks and months that led up to both of these, I had the opportunity to decide again, am I going to be a great person, or am I going to be a great leader? I'm not stupid. I know how to win a fight. And I knew all the legal moves and I knew all the ethical moves that I could do in both situations to save the building and to save the multi-site. And I wish I could tell you I was not tempted. I was sorely tempted. I was sorely tempted to be a powerful woman and prove I had muscles and brains and I could keep what I had worked for. But God spoke to my calling. And my calling is to love people Jesus style and to be a great, a great leader. And the great leader in me recognized that after the heart of Jesus, he would not want me to make a decision that would hinder his name in our communities, that would make children and young people wonder what the church is about. And so I chose to be a great leader. I don't know what your choosing will be, but I know that God will speak to you. Whatever he calls you to do, you have to know what it is, and then you have to make the choices that go with it. You have to decide what is worth fighting for and what hill you are willing to die on. Jesus could have slam dunked the Pharisees at any point in time. He not only was humanly smart, he had the wisdom of the universe and all of God, he had it. But he picked his fights. He knew it wasn't worth it. He knew the hill he was going to die on. He was going to die on Calvary. And he wasn't going to sacrifice that by getting hung up on something lesser, something that was not his calling. And for me, you know, there have been lots of good things to do. But I know what arrows God is calling me to shoot. And you know what? You do too. You do too. If you're thinking you already know things that he wants you to do and things that are lesser, you have to know what hills you're willing to die on. And if you want to know what I'm going to be doing in my future, I've got a couple of hills that, and some of them are not very popular, (laughs) but I know that I'm, I'm willing to die on these and I will spend the rest of my life shooting those arrows, trying to see what God can do with my efforts, no matter what it costs. Now, the second story is from Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with the withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, to the ones who were looking at him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good, or to do harm, or to save life, or to kill? But they were silent. See, Jesus could do a good argument, and you can always do a a good argument, can't you? You can. And they were silent. They didn't know how to fight back. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Wow. Do you know what that says to me? That says to me that a last arrow person in the style of Jesus is completely predictable. You need to be predictable. A person living the last arrow life is so clear on why they are here that they are predictable. And it makes them an easy target. They followed Jesus into the temple because they knew it was the Sabbath. They knew that there was a man there with a crippled hand. And they knew that the Old Testament law said, don't you do that kind of work. Don't do it. On the Sabbath. They knew what Jesus was going to do. They knew. He was predictable. This is not the only story. They'd watched him. They knew that every single time a broken, hurting person trumped the law for Jesus. Every single time. They knew it every single time. They knew that Jesus would walk into the synagogue and he would go straight for the man who no one could help but him. They knew they could rile up the religious people by saying, you know what he did now? You know what he did now? Now he's doing this. It's against the law. He was so predictable. They always knew where to find him and what he would be doing. You know what else it tells me? It tells me that Last Arrow people are not very sneaky and self-protective. They just do what God tells them to do and let the chips fall wherever they will. They're predictable. People, if you're a last arrow person and you've been living that way for a while, people can predict what your stand will be and they already know what their actions are going to be. If you are doing what you know deep in your heart God is calling you to do and you have a reputation for it, take it as a compliment when people say with disdain, I can't believe what she's doing now. I can't believe what he's doing now because what you are doing is you are living out God's call on you. Shoot that arrow. It's the reason you're here. And then if you're going to live a last arrow life like Jesus, you're going to have to fight for others, not for yourself. Last Sunday, Andy Stanley preached an incredibly powerful sermon where he asserted the church is most like Jesus when it is not fighting for its own rights but fighting for the rights of others. Wow, that's so true. And Jesus showed it here with every action of his predictable life. He knew he was here to serve, not to be served. He was here for the last, the lowest, and the least. He gave every ounce of himself, shooting every arrow he could for them. He never stopped to consider the cost for himself. He never stopped to figure out how hard it was going to be on him because he did it. He was here to make sure that every single person he interacted with knew the love of God, the welcome of God. Everyone had a real chance for a real relationship with God because of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Just like the man with this bad hand, he loved them all just exactly the way they were. Jesus was not known for making wise business decisions. (laughs) He did not figure out how many people were going to be with him before he did something. He didn't do what he did based on who would follow him and who would not. His fighting for the, for the well-being and for the spiritual welcome of other people defined him. His mind was made up. And even Jesus didn't know which arrow exactly and what time would be his last one. He just kept shooting and left it to the Father, the timing. Every last arrow must do that. You have to, every last arrow person must shoot in that fashion Leave it to the father or you'll just quit shooting. So you you just completely disregard the approval ratings. Who disapproved of him and his choices? Oh, sure, his enemies did. But he expected that. And so there there was no surprise and comparatively little pain because of it. But other people disapproved of him and it hurt him badly. His enemies were saying that he was possessed by demons. That was tough and so then of course it embarrassed his mother and his brothers and his family and they were so embarrassed and so frustrated that in Mark chapter 3 the one we just read there they came to get him they came to get him they wanted him to come and go with him and them and when he didn't leave you know what they said to the crowd he's out of his mind Jacob how would you feel if I told the church you were out of your mind that's so good not so good. Can you imagine what it was like for him to have his brother James disapprove of him and not follow him? James didn't follow him until after the resurrection when there was irrefutable proof that Jesus was alive again and that he actually was God. His own disciples argued with him and told him he was crazy for making the choices he was making. They told him not to go to Jerusalem, that it was political and literal suicide He wasn't keeping the Old Testament laws whenever they conflicted with loving and reaching broken people. His enemies hated him for it and his family and friends were embarrassed and didn't even know how to defend him. Only the broken people he was helping loved what he was doing and nobody cared what they thought. But the approval ratings meant nothing to Last Arrow Jesus. He kept shooting because he was living for the approval of one. And I want to tell every one of you I have learned this to my own pain and my own sorrow. But if you have to have the approval of anyone but your father, you'll quit shooting. You will. You'll just draw a bullseye around whatever you're doing and claim that you scored. Wow. But if you are last arrow like Jesus, you will shoot whatever he tells you to shoot, and you will shoot whenever he tells you to shoot, whether you are loved or hated for it, The last story I want to tell you is from John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Can you even imagine that? To fulfill scripture, he knew why he was here, and he knew what scripture said, so he left no stone unturned. A jar, I I mean, think of it. I just happened to think of this. Can you imagine even think of the, thinking of that when you're hanging on a cross? But he was so full of his mission he did. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. Why would you drink that? I mean, Nasty. That sounds really nasty if you're not hanging on a cross. But if you're right at the verge of death, it's really, really bad. But he shot that arrow. It was part of the plan. He was not going to excuse himself. He was not going to say this far and no more. I mean, I I want you to think about that. He's on the cross. He's dying. His death is certain. Why does he have to drink that sour wine? It's not going to make any difference. He's going to die. It was an arrow he shot because God said it. Mm -hmm. Because his father said it. He shot every arrow. And so when it came time to die, he had no regrets and he had nothing left to do just to die. And so when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Wow. There has never been and will never be a more profound example of a man who left nothing undone, who held nothing back, who gave everything of himself and gave himself completely, true to what the Father had sent him here to do. There's something so breathtakingly beautiful about being able to whisper with your last breath, it's finished. I did everything I came here to do. No regret, only fulfillment. No running around, no trying to hurry and get something done you procrastinated on. No trying to find somebody and ask their forgiveness for what you've said or done. You just go. My husband, Charlie, was not Jesus. But I did have the incredible privilege of being married to a man like Jesus. He was completely unselfish in his love for me. And I was a daily witness to his love for Jesus. I saw the sacrifices he made to be who he was I saw the people he was willing to have be disappointed with him as long as he knew the Father was pleased. Our callings were very different. Our pol- politics were sometimes very different. Our, our, we disagreed on a number of things. But never on each of us doing whatever it took to be obedient to God and to feel the pleasure of God. In 2000. 18 in the summertime Rachel did something that I'll always be forever grateful that she did she didn't do it because anybody thought Charlie was going to die he was healthy he was having some knee issues but that was all but she took him to lunch and had an interview with him you remember all of that don't you Rachel she had an interview with him and um, she asked him number of questions just to know parts of his life she didn't know but one of the questions she asked him was what was on his bucket list what did he want to do that he hadn't done yet and do you know what he said to her she wrote it down she wrote it down she had it and she shared it with me then Charlie said I don't really have a bucket list I believe that I have done everything that God sent me to this place to do. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'll do the daily things God tells me, but now I'm going to help your mother. I'm going to help her finish what God wants her to do. It's so interesting that he told me that as well. Um, When, in between November and and the end of the year, every year, Charlie and I would go over our... um, Our goals that we had had for the year and we'd see what we accomplished what we didn't do and then we'd set new ones for the next year and at the the last week of the year in uh, 2018 uh, he told me then he said the same thing he told Rachel he said babe I he said I haven't done everything perfectly but I feel like all of the big things that God wanted me to do with my life I feel like I've done all of those and he said I know you haven't yet He said, I feel it in my spirit that there's more that God wants you to do. And he said, 2019 is going to be the year of Brenda. He said, I'm going to devote my life to helping you fulfill what God has for you to do. He didn't know that he was going to be gone in about 20 days. He didn't know that. He didn't know that he was going to die. When I left on Sunday afternoon, January 20th, he fully expected to see me in the morning. He told me, I'll talk to you tonight, and I'll see you in the morning. But he was in heaven by 8 o'clock. But it was really well, okay. It was really okay because he had shot all of his arrows. Charlie didn't have anything he needed to say to me other than, I'll talk to you tonight, I'll see you in the morning because our relationship was in fabulous shape. He didn't have anything else he needed to do for God because he had been trying to do that. All he had to do was drop his work glove and go. His quiver was empty. That's my urging for you and for myself. Live to leave with your quiver empty. That's the way Last Arrow people live. They aren't saving anything for later just in case they get a better opportunity. They live all out for now. That's what I intend to do. I believe the reason I am still here is not to just retire and relax and take it easy. I believe there are still arrows in my quiver, and I intend to shoot every single one of them, whatever the cost. And do you know what I know for sure? I know it from, I, I know it from Jesus, I know it from Charlie, I know it from so many wonderful people who have been in Cornerstone and in my life over the years. I know that the last arrow life will have a power that not even death can conquer. I am totally convinced that when we live our lives totally devoted to the one who gave his life and everything for us, when we live fearlessly, courageously, and without reservation, holding nothing back, we will be like Jesus. And with our last Breath, We will be able to say it is finished mission accomplished. I gave everything I did it all Everything I was here to do and all we'll have to do is drop our work glove and go This is what I know about you You were like me You are born you have been born with arrows in your quiver That no one but you can shoot And you will never be fulfilled, whatever else you do, if you do not shoot them. All of them. There are battles ahead of you. You are going to have to choose who you will please and what you want to define your life. The future is waiting for you. Jesus is calling for you. Pull out your arrows and shoot Shoot, 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 shoot until they're all gone. It will require sacrifice and devotion and struggle, but it will reap a blessing for you and for your children and for your children's children. God says so, and I am a witness. I am the result of Last Arrow people for several generations. I'm so thankful to have all three of my children here today and their spouses given me three bonus children and i have some nieces and nephews here i want to say to my children to my grandchildren to my nieces and nephews never take lightly what you have and the start you have been given you are the result of last arrow people you are your great grandparents your grandparents your parents in the words of Hamilton don't throw away your shot don't don't throw away your shot keep on shooting keep on shooting God wants to bless you he wants to bless your children's children he wants to bless generations that you can't even begin to imagine he wants to do that and you and I are going to have to be faithful to see that happen. Two cornerstone people, I want to tell you, we are the result of so many wonderful people who have given and given and given of their time and energy above and beyond and, and over and in and, and anything we can imagine, they've given that. And Akron and Coventry and Mogador and Talmage and Springfield, and Ellet and all of the places around here, and indeed now, even clear around the world, have been blessed because they gave. Because they shot their arrows. Let's keep blessing. Let's keep it going to the next generations, and the next generations, and the next generations. When I first became pastor at Cornerstone, We typically ended our services with a prayer, and we left, and it was all good. It was all good. But there was something that had touched my heart for a really long time, and it was the benedictions found in the Bible. And I made up my mind that as a part of my pastoral privilege and and honor, I was going to give a blessing every week. I was going to do that. And so I started doing it. I started preparing every week to give a blessing. And, and it was kind of funny. You know, a few people laughed a little bit because it was funny enough to them to see a woman up here, let alone a woman doing this kind of thing. But I kept doing it. And there was a couple in our church. Shout out to Gene and Skeeter Stennett this morning. There was a couple in our church that had really gotten on fire for Jesus Christ. And he didn't have a background in any kind of a church that would get emotional like our church did. He didn't have a background in that. But Skeeter, he and his wife sat in the front row almost every single week. And when I would give the blessing at the end, his hand would shoot up like this. Just shoot up like that. And I asked him one day lots of people were picking it up they thought they saw him do it they thought they were supposed to do that and so I asked him I said Skeeter what are you doing what do you do when you do that and he goes oh he said those words are so powerful I'm catching them you're giving the blessing I'm gonna catch it I'm gonna make sure I have it and it became a cornerstone tradition to catch the blessing And I'm going to ask you wherever you are, in your home, here, wherever you are. Don't do it if you're driving. Don't do that. But wherever else you are, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you to catch the blessing that is for you. It is for your children's children and their children and their children. Until Jesus comes back again and then the blessing is forever. May God himself call you to himself. May he show you your arrows and may you shoot them until that grand day you stand before him without fault and without blame in the presence of the Father. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.